Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. The Apostle Paul, he was not ashamed of the gospel. Though others may feel that as a far-fetched and preposterous story, the Apostle Paul was not ashamed that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. And he proclaimed this gospel. And it is this God-centered and God-produced conviction that lives in many of us as well. And so as we look back at Romans, we're in chapter 1. And over the last two weeks, we've been rooting ourselves deep in the gospel of God. Now, as you may remember, the gospel took root in Rome as God called people to himself and adopted them as children of God. In addition, God had called the apostle Paul to salvation and he called him to minister to the Gentiles. Paul had never visited this church in Rome, but he was eager to preach the gospel to them and others. And so as we look at at Romans chapter one, we have this 17 verses of rapport building before he launches into a full-blown explanation of the gospel of God. And today we get this quick summary in these two verses. Some would say these are the two most important verses in the entire Bible. We're talking Martin Luther, Reformation, big deal. This is very significant. We're gonna talk about the gospel of God. And it's laid out in summary form in verses 16 and 17. And for those of you who like to stay organized in order to pay attention to a sermon, we're going to talk about some conviction, gospel conviction. We're going to talk about gospel power. And we're going to talk about gospel righteousness and finally gospel faith. We're going to be moving fast. We're not going to go slow. Two verses. Let's pay attention. Let's go. Start with verse 16. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's in jail and he's writing to this tiny group of believers in this elite capital of the vast unbelieving Roman empire. Perhaps this group of believers is a little timid as they have been considered by many as the scum of the earth And this idea of a crucified savior was foolishness to Gentiles and it tripped up the Jews. You see, the word on the street that Jesus was this carpenter from this backwater place, the armpit of the empire of Judea. And Christians were making this claim that Jesus died as the son of God, came back to life, and now is ruling at the right hand of the father. And most in Rome thought this was silly and this was absurd. In the third century, let me show you a picture mocking Christianity. Do we have this picture? Mocking Christianity. Now what you're seeing here is that this was on a plaster wall, was a drawing of a man worshiping Jesus on the cross who was portrayed as a donkey. 
mocking Christians. And you think about today, you go, well, that, that's pretty tame compared to what we see today. Um, people mocking the gospel, mocking Jesus. They may think that you are just out of your mind for believing what you believe. I mean, for real, most of your unbelieving friends are so polite to you. They're not going to draw pictures like this. But they're thinking, you know what? Look, go to church, fine. Follow the golden rule, fine. Do your Bible studies, that's okay. Find comfort in your religion, that's fine too. But all this talk of miracles, of death and resurrection, of Jesus being the only way to heaven, that is absurd. And perhaps you may feel a little intimidated, like some of the early Christians may feel. You may feel like that your gospel doesn't stack up with the elite and powerful vibe of the day, that the gospel is not anywhere close to gaining this mainstream attraction or attention or traction. But this Paul guy, not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed of Jesus, not ashamed to proclaim it, even among the elite and among the lowest of the earth. And my brothers and sisters, the word is to us that we are not to be ashamed to talk about Jesus. We're not to be ashamed of this gospel. Let me tell you about this uh, 18-year-old girl. She is from um, the Middle East. She comes to go to college at 18 as a Muslim, for some reason, I don't know how, but she ended up in California at Master's College, of all colleges, Muslim, okay, unbeliever. She gets there her first semester as a freshman, she gets saved, flat out following Jesus, Muslim converts. She goes back home over the Christmas break to the Middle East in a country I'm not going to talk about. She's there, and her uncle finds out that she became a believer, and he starts to beat her, like we're talking beat her to death. Her dad intervenes, rescues her, sends her back to California and says, you can't ever come back here. And so this 18-year-old girl is being interviewed about, hey, what was going through your mind as your uncle is beating you to death? And she said this, here is a man that has a religion that he would kill for. But I have a savior that I would die for. You know what I'm saying? You hear that? He has a religion that he would kill for. I have a savior I would die for. That is not being ashamed of the gospel. You're like, well, why would Paul be like that? Why would she be like that? What's the, what's the big deal? It's because contained in the gospel is power, is power. Let's keep going, let's keep going, all right? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, <clears throat> for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, Paul's not ashamed of the gospel, for it, that is the gospel, is the power of God's salvation. The essence of the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Let's return to our definition of the gospel. We've seen this the last two weeks we've been together. The gospel, 
is the good news of what God has done in Christ to rescue lost humanity from their sins and adopt them as children of God. I'll say it again. The gospel is the good news of what God has done in Christ to rescue lost humanity from their sins and adopt them as children of God. Contained within the gospel is the omnipotence of God and its all-consuming power to save sinners. That God's power in the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection has brought us from death to life. Jesus bore the wrath of God. He saved us from our futile way of life and he's given us eternal salvation in his son. And though the gospel may seem outlandish to some, it is the power of God for salvation. Now, this is why we don't need to be ashamed, okay? Just imagine you found a cure for AIDS, like for real, heal people, boom, fixed. You would not keep that to yourself. You'd want to share that. People will say, no, that's crazy. No, no, I really found it. And then you share it and some people get healed. That's the idea here. There is power in Jesus to save people forever from the wrath of God. We need not be ashamed because in the gospel is power. And so when we share the gospel, we're to share it with so much joy. But unfortunately, we often think about, oh, I don't want to tell them about Jesus. What's going to happen to me? What are they going to say to me? And we take the joy out of sharing the gospel. It was like me this, this past weekend playing my first uh, pickleball tournament. I was telling my wife, and I was writing in my journal, and I was praying, Lord, please don't let me get injured. Because I see a lot of you walking around your hips falling apart, your knees out of place, your ankle. I say, how did that happen? You said pickleball. I'm like, oh, no. So scared about playing pickleball. I can't even enjoy it. You see that? There's to be joy in sharing the gospel, not what's going to happen to us. There's joy because in the gospel is a power for salvation. Well, how does that work? You got conviction, you got power. Well, this brings us to gospel righteousness. I really hope you pay attention on this one. This one's good. Verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. The reason why the gospel has power to save is because the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. The gospel pulls off salvation because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna withhold um, deep teaching from you because this is the most important thing, right? The righteousness of God, what does that mean? Well, it can mean a lot of things in the different contexts you look at and study in the New Testament and the Old Testament. But what does it mean in this context? Well, sometimes words in the Bible have a double meaning. And I, and I think in this context, a double meaning is going on. So I hope you're able to track with a little bit of this because this is key to understanding the righteousness of God in this context, right? The first idea contained within this righteousness of God has to do with God's saving activity. God's saving activity. 
The idea here is that the righteousness of God is his saving activity to rescue sinners. Now you may think, well, what are you talking about? Okay, in this sense, the righteousness of God is equivalent with the saving activity of God, saying they mean the same thing. Because this understanding is thoroughly rooted in the Old Testament. When those steeped in the Old Testament heard about the righteousness of God, they would make the connection to the saving activity of God. Let me give you some examples. Psalm 98, 2. It says, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Are you got this? This is indicating that the salvation and righteousness are parallel ideas. Let me show you another one. Isaiah 46, 13. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. Once again, righteousness and salvation are synonyms. Let's see one more. Let me pop at this tip for you in Isaiah 51.5. It says, my righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, but my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. Once again, in these contexts, the righteousness of God is equivalent with the saving power of God. And that's exactly what we see in our own context. For in the gospel is the power of God for salvation, which is equivalent to the righteousness of God. The reason why the gospel has power is because the righteousness, the saving activity of God is revealed to rescue sinners in Jesus. Now, that's the first idea of this double meaning of righteousness. The second one I think you may be more familiar with, and that has the idea of God's gift of right standing. And I will not let you leave today if you don't understand this. This is the most important thing we can possibly talk about, this idea of God's gift of right standing. Because the gospel reveals a righteousness from God that is given to believers as a gift of right standing. And this aspect of God's righteousness has to do with the way that God views believers in his sight. It's a legal idea. It has to do with a, a judge when he would declare someone not innocent and not guilty. But I want you to understand this. This is, I think, the thing we misunderstand in, in Christianity. You are forgiven in Jesus. Your sins are gone, but that's not enough. You also need perfect righteousness to stand before God. And you're given that in the perfect obedience and righteousness of Christ. So understand this, all right? Understand this. We are forgiven. All of our sins are washed away. And then we're Given the perfect obedience of Jesus to all the laws, the Father views us as righteous in him. Think about it. If I'm holding a glass right here and it's filled with yucky, junk, dirt, mud, everything full, I take it, I dump it out. I wipe the glass completely clean. That is the forgiveness of sins but that is not enough to give you a right standing before God. You must also have perfect righteousness. I pour in pure water, representing the 
perfect righteousness of Jesus to give you a right standing before God. Paul put it this way in Philippians 3, 9. He said, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So Paul is indicating that his righteousness, his right standing before God is not his own righteousness, but the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. Romans 10.3 contains this description of how some Jews tried to create their own righteousness through law observance. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So a Jew would say, I'm going to be in the right before God and have a right standing before him one day due to my law observance, not through righteousness given by God through faith in Christ. Let's put it to you this way. Let's say that you really want to make your unbelieving friends mad. You shouldn't want to do this, but let's just say that you inadvertently make them mad. And here's the way to do that. Some people get mad at the church because they feel like, we're always telling them how to behave. Stop doing this. Start doing this. It's almost like we're the principal picking on people, trying to tell people how to behave and to fix themselves. But if you want to make an unbeliever really mad, tell them this. You can do nothing to fix yourself. Nothing. There's nothing you can do to make yourself go to heaven one day based upon your works. So rather than pointing the finger and say, here, do this, do this, do this, say, there's nothing you can do to fix yourself. You see that? The only way is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, through the good news of Jesus. It's the only way that we get righteousness, not because of our works, because of the works of Jesus. Perfect obedience to the law. And that brings us to faith. It's the last one, this gospel faith, because God's work in the gospel, I mean, this is good news, but it does require a response of faith. You say, well, that's great news. Yeah, but it requires a response. Look at it once again. Verse 16 It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Jews have a special place in God's plan as they have received the covenants, the giving of the law and the promise and the Messiah have come from their people. Paul made it a priority to go to the Jews first at the synagogue before he branched out to the Gentiles. And we'll see more of God's plan for the Jews when we come to chapters 9 and 11. But the main aspect here has to do with this idea of faith. Are you seeing it? A person can only experience the saving activity of God and right standing before God through faith. 
The gospel is thoroughly rooted and steeped in faith. You see it there? It says, from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. That's an allusion to Habakkuk 2.4 to show the continuity of faith in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Please do not say that people in the Old Testament were saved by works. I'll throw my Bible at you. They're saved by faith, okay? Saved by faith. And this context of Hosea reminds God's people they experience the blessings by faith. And don't misunderstand faith. Faith is not this. I nod and I say, yes, yes, Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Sounds good to me. I'm in. Faith is not mentally agreeing with facts. Faith is believing the facts and submitting your life to the lordship of Jesus. Faith is all in. It's like, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. You are my Lord. Do whatever you want. I trust you to save me. We confess him as Lord. Believe in our hearts, right? Confess with our mouths, you're Lord. And the good news is, is that every single person in here, I don't care if you've gone to church your whole life, every single person here can get in on this good news and put their faith in Jesus right now, even for the first time. Keep it simple. Jesus came, lived a perfect life you couldn't live, died the death you couldn't die, bearing the wrath of God, buried rose again. The good news is open to all of you to put your faith in him and submit to him as Lord and you will be saved. Does it matter what you've done? You may say, well, I did. It doesn't matter. You can put your faith in Jesus right now. It really doesn't matter if you've gone to church your whole life. None of that stuff matters. You may be embarrassed. Well, I don't want to become a Christian right now. I was supposed to be a Christian a long time ago. No, it's okay to put your faith in Jesus right now and be saved. Right now. So here we got, we have this gospel conviction that leads to this gospel power made possible by gospel righteousness experienced by gospel faith. And Paul's like, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Scale of one to 10, how's your conviction right now in sharing the gospel? Do you truly believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father? If you believe it, you will share it. If you think it's true, which I do, you will open your mouth and talk about it and you won't care what anybody thinks. You believe the gospel just like I do, that you believe anyone can be saved. Do you believe that? Even that one person? Even that person you despise? Do you believe? What about those one people? I believe that the gospel, Jesus Christ, saves people that you would think never would be saved. And so I've got to tell you this. I've got to tell you this, okay? My first church, Santa Monica, California. I mean, 
we were such a small church, 25 people. We pretty much knew everybody that came to church. And I would just open the Bible and preach Jesus. But there was this guy who would come into our church every week late, sit in the back wearing a suit. People in Southern California do not wear suits to church. Just don't do that. And I thought, who is this guy? He pops in late, and then he leaves. So I finally cornered him, and we went to lunch. And his name was uh, Justin, and he was a, a real estate agent, and that's why he wore a suit, because after church, he would go out and he would sell homes. He was very wealthy. He was a young guy, right? So I'm, I'm having lunch with him, and he's like, I'm sitting in my chair at church, and I can't move. I said, why can't you move? He said, I just feel so much conviction. I said, well, tell me about your life. He's like, well, I live with my partner. We've been together for several years. We own a business together, two, in a relationship together. And this is Southern California, West LA area. Everybody's cheering him, yay, yay, keep living your lifestyle. And he's like, but, but I come and I hear the gospel and I can't move because of conviction. Because I'm getting so hot, I just feel like I'm so convicted. And what he did, he got saved, broke up with his partner, which is a big deal, moved out, moved out. And within a week, his partner came up to the church and cornered me in my office and basically started saying, what is wrong? Why is this happening? God's a God of love. He allows, if two people love each other, it doesn't matter. His partner was just yelling at me, just so upset. And of course, I'm explaining the gospel and love to him as well. So he leaves. And, I, and I'm friends with Justin. And he's with us in our church until I moved to uh, Chicago a couple years later. While I'm in Chicago, I get a call and I got a call from Justin's old partner. And he called me and he said, look, I want to tell you, Justin, 38 years old, he just died of like a heart attack. 38. And I'm like, praise God, he knew Jesus. And his partner's like, his old partner's like, I want to tell you something. I am sorry for yelling at you. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. But since then, Jesus has saved me as well. This is, this is crazy. This is crazy, right? In, in telling that story that two wealthy, young people steeped in sin, two guys, can repent, be forgiven, and live a life of purity, people would make fun of me for saying that, telling that story. But my brothers and sisters, it's the gospel. It's the power of God saving people, people you would think would never get saved. That's what Jesus does. That's what he did to you. That's what he did to me. It's the power of God. And it's the conviction we have. We root ourselves in Jesus and we open our mouths because we are not ashamed of the gospel. We hope you enjoyed this message. 
It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.